0: Every student hates them, and today, Rachel is going to tell you why and what to do about them. Today, we're talking about word problems. Let's dig in.
1: You want to learn faster, but sometimes working harder is just not the answer. You have to learn smarter. The Educational Therapy Podcast. Hey, Smarties, it's Rachel. We recorded this episode maybe a couple of weeks ago, and we decided after the fact to create a freebie for you guys associated with this episode. So go to www.learnsmarterpodcast.com to get the freebie for episode 45. And don't forget to go back and look at the freebie for episode 11. That one was a gem also. Now back to the episode. Hi, Smarties. Welcome to episode 45 of Learn Smarter, the educational therapy podcast. I'm Rachel Kapp. And I'm Stephanie Pitts. So Smarties, today we're giving it to you. You guys have asked us for it. We've talked about it for a long time. And today <laughs> we're finally doing that episode on word problems. In episode 11, which feels so long ago, it's kind of crazy, I did a training episode called Math is a Four-Letter Word. First of all, that title still makes me giggle. And (laughs) I'm still a little too proud of my own cleverness. (laughs) Is that a word? Yeah. In that episode, we talked at length about math and mindset, and there are a lot of reasons why students struggle with math, and we have an in-depth conversation about it on that episode. So if you haven't listened to episode 11 yet, that would be a good one to go back and listen to, and we'll make sure to link it in the show notes, right, Steph? Yep. But today, we're going to dig into word problems more specifically, and I feel like we should warn are Smarties that I probably will be talking a little bit more. Definitely. <laughs> Math tends to be kind of a zone I shine in. Steph shines with executive functioning also. And then games. Yeah. We should do more episodes, Steph, on your whole process in selecting a game for a student. Yeah. And that might be a fun episode. If Smarties wanted to email us, Stuff now I'm just brainstorming out loud on the podcast, but (laughs) if people wanted to email us and give us the profile of their student and kind of want to get a sense of what games you would select and why, that would be a really interesting episode, don't you think? Yeah, for sure. Maybe we'll source that on our Instagram. But if you guys aren't following us on Instagram, it's at Learn Podcast. If you're not on Instagram and you just want to email us, it's Rachel and staff at LearnSmarterPodcast.com. And we'll gather those up and we'll do an episode because that would be super fun for us to kind of do a deep dive into your brain a little bit. Yeah, I'm in. Okay. Make a note of it on our grandmaster list of potential episode ideas, will you? <laughs> okay.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Let's dig into some more problems. Yes. <laughs> I mean, I remember as a kid, I really hated them and I didn't understand why. So tell us a little bit about them.
1: So this is all just, you know, my thought leadership and my theories on why students struggle. First of all, you're not alone with this. I was the same type of student. So when I'm speaking, I'm also speaking about former Rachel, past Rachel Mm -hmm. and my Mm -hmm. experience with math, what I wish I had known and what I wish I could have gone back and told my former self. Yeah. So, first of all, a lot of students just don't think words belong in math. Mm -hmm. I hear it a lot that math should just be numbers. But then on the flip side of this, students complain that math doesn't have any real-world application. (laughs) Like, here's the catch-22. Word problems are the real-world application of math. So we have to have them to have a real-world experience with numbers, but yet we're resistant to them. Yeah. It's because they're in the mindset of just looking at numbers and just wanting to do procedural things. If there is any other deficit that the student has, particularly with reading and decoding and comprehension, then students are going to feel doubly burned math word problems require the ability to decode. They require the ability to comprehend. And then we're asking students to layer on top of that, a conceptual understanding and the application of procedure. It's not automatic for them. Yeah. So there's all these different things that are being tested with word problems. And it's not just about the math. Also, word problems tend to come at the end of a long page of rote practice problems. Don't you agree, Steph? It's so true. Every single
0: time the kids get to the end and it's two or three math problems at the end of their page and they're already done.
1: They're smut. Yeah. Those two or three word problems at the end of the page and they're burnt out and they're over it. And they oftentimes are assigned the whole page. What in an ideal world, they would do about half of the rote practice problems, jump ahead and do the word problems when they still have the mental capacity for it, and then go back and do the other rote problems. Yeah. Because you have to practice it in the rote problem section with just numbers in order to understand the procedure. And so you do need that rehearsal But then they are burnt out looking at it and they're like, well, screw this. Yeah, I don't want to do this. Yeah, this is
0: hard. Yeah.
1: And it feels hard. Word problems require that deep conceptual level of understanding. And they are harder than rote problems. Yeah. And it's it's just the reality of it. I have a lot of kids who will see a word problem. And this was who I was as a student, too. I would skip them a lot. Did you used to do that? Stuff.
0: Yeah, I don't know that I would read it completely, and then I would just like put a question mark. Yeah, like, I tried, but I don't understand. Your level of trying <laughs> was
1: like skimming it. Yeah, yeah. And if it's not immediately obvious, we'll forget it. I'll I'll yeah. watch them do the example in class because those are the problems that teachers go over. Yeah, it's true. Those are the problems that students ask for. Yeah, right. If you're an engaged, involved student, you're most likely asking for the word problem help. Yeah, because they're hard. Yes. They're, have we made it clear that word problems are hard, you guys? <laughs> They're so hard. So we've now explained, and you guys, I'm sure, are sitting there like nodding and saying, yes, they are hard. I didn't like them either as a student. So now we're all collectively together under this umbrella of word problems are hard. And here's what you got to do. And you may be at different points in the process with your learner, just depending on their age. If you have a younger learner, early word problems are often incredibly obvious, Steph, I have three sandwiches. You have two sandwiches. How many sandwiches do we have total?
0: We have five total sandwiches.
1: Way to go. Did you have to do any sort of thinking?
0: No. No. It was automatic. I knew already it was asked of me. I could do it in my head, which we don't really condone, but I did. Mm -hmm. And I answered it with the
1: words at the end, you know, saying the unit. Right. So... That's something that I was going to come to later, but I'll go ahead and say it now. If a question is being asked to you in words, the answer has to be given in words as well. So you have to say that unit, that sandwich at the end. Yeah. But here's the point. We want to teach students to be very, very intentional about how they're approaching easy word problems so that when word problems get more difficult, mm-hmm. they know what to do. And this is a principle of math. On one hand, there's this big push to have automaticity and there's this big push to have mental math. The weakness of this is that when students experience challenge and the numbers get bigger or the application of it becomes more complex, you're being asked to multiply or divide or functions that aren't easy to do in your head, students become lost. So when we have these easier word problems, if you were the student in my practice, I would say that's totally the right answer, but I need to understand your thinking. And do I really need to understand their thinking? No, I need them to understand their own thinking. Mm -hmm. So we would pull out that piece of paper. Okay, how did you come up with that number? And they would say, well, three plus two equals five. Perfect. And I would insist that they write out that step so that they get in the habit of showing their work. Yeah, They deciphered the problem. They picked the right application, meaning they picked that the correct application was addition. And then they found their result. It happens automatically for most students. So when you have these easier problems, you want them to practice the skill of breaking down their thinking so that Later on, when the problems become more complicated, they know what to do.
0: It makes sense. It makes perfect sense.
1: Here's what I want to reiterate. We learn healthy math habits when things are easy, not once the problems have gotten more complicated. If we teach our students these healthy math habits, this healthy way of thinking, the fact that you have to show your work on the page, the fact that you have to explain your thinking, when things are easy... They're going to have that muscle. They're going to have that skill when the problems get more complicated. Let me review some healthy math habits. These are like Rachel's rules of math. And if you're a client in my practice and you're listening to this, you're going to be sitting there nodding because you know that this is what I insist students do in the real world, in the real world of my office sessions. And Steph, I think you do a lot of this also. I do. I do a lot of this. You've taught me a lot of it and I do it. Okay. So the first rule is... You got to use graph paper. Kids need these lines to orient themselves. They need the squares that are created by graph paper to write one digit in each square. These were all, by the way, concepts that we taught in episode 11. And so I'm going to skim over it. But if you guys have more questions or you want more information about my thinking behind these rules, then definitely go back and listen to that episode because I do a deeper dive. I'm just doing a skim in this episode. You want to remind students to skip lines between each step. You only want to do one thing at a time. So sometimes there will be multiple things required that students can do in their head simultaneously. I'm the type of educator that wants to discourage that because that's where mistakes happen. In real life, if we try to do two or three things at once, what happens? Mistake. A mistake. Same thing happens when you're trying to do two or three math steps mentally in your brain the mistake is going to happen. And making that mistake is the most annoying one because that's not a lack of conceptual understanding. Yeah, That's just innate carelessness that happens because our brains are unreliable. And students get really frustrated in that scenario. That's where I get a lot of pushback. Of having students do one thing at a time. Mm -hmm. This is why if we can teach this earlier, it makes life easier later on. For sure. I get some kids who never make it to the point where they're doing everything, but they're doing some of it and it's gradually improving. But I also get a lot of resistance and I'm kind of bossy in sessions. (laughs) Is that shocking to you? (laughs) No. (laughs) And I actually will have students go back and erase. You did two things here. I only need to see one at a time. Yeah. Part of that is you want to make it crazy simple for a teacher to see where you made a mistake. For sure. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. And it also makes it crazy simple for the students to go back and find their own mistake. If they see a big mess of jumble of letters and numbers on their page. Yeah. They're not going back and looking over their work. It's not easy. And so a lot of this is designed to help students think in a concrete and linear way and know the boundaries of math and know the healthy math habits they should be implementing. But a lot of it is also to help teachers help them when they are not understanding. Another healthy math habit is only to have a handful or fewer problems on each page. We don't need to do 30 math problems on one sheet of paper. We do a deeper conversation on this in episode 11, but I just want to remind our smarties that we have rightfully taught students to protect the environment, but it's detrimental to them when it comes to using the space on their page in math. And it's really, really important. If students want to get a good grade, the teacher has to be able to decipher what they've done.
0: Yeah. Four or eight. Those are your two choices. Oh,
1: okay. Talk me through this. I've not well, heard...
0: It's four or eight, right? If you're folding the paper like you taught me, you can you can do it into quarters Or you can do it into eights. And that's it. And that's it. Those are the only two options. And most of the time, unless I start out with kids doing four and then they can graduate to eight if the type of math and they're the type of student that can fit it. But really, I'd rather not. I'd rather just be four on the front
1: and Mm -hmm. that's it. Depending on the student, I'll do four on the back also. So I didn't talk about this specific strategy. I didn't even list it in these healthy math habits. What Steph is talking about is literally folding the page into force and one problem gets assigned to each quadrant. This is something that's really helpful for students who struggle with executive functioning. Or students who struggle with spatial awareness or visual spatial awareness. Which is what happens a lot in math in general. In general. And you want to give them these boundaries that this is your area for this one problem. This is your area for the next problem. And that's it. You're going to get pushed back initially. But then students are going to start to see the benefit. And look, when they come to work with us in session, they're coming to us because we're the expert, right? Yeah. Listen, for a student who's very bright but also struggles with executive functioning, this is very demanding of their skills and their brain to implement these math rules. So many steps. So many steps to having healthy math habits. Maybe you pick one. Maybe you decide, I'm not even going to say to this student, you have to put one digit in each square. And then line up your equal signs. Maybe I'm not even going to say that. Maybe the win will just be they're doing one problem in each quadrant. Mm -hmm. It still looks like a hot mess, but I can kind of figure it out. They're thinking a little bit because it's spaced out on the page. Yeah, We can build up. It doesn't have to be everything at once. The last healthy math habit that I wanted to make sure to mention is that if there is a formula, the student must rewrite it each time they're using it. I'm going to repeat that because I think that's surprising to people. If there's a formula, they need to rewrite it every time they're using it, even if they just used it on the previous problem. There's a couple reasons for this. Most teachers do not give them formulas on the test. So it's a way of helping reinforce and memorize the formula. The second is it makes it a lot easier to replace numbers in and out of a formula, which is why we're using the formula, if you have it right in front of you, right above where you're doing the replacing. Does this make sense?
0: Yeah. So to give an example, just so we're clear, where she's talking about formulas like pi r squared or y equals mx plus b. Exactly. So any of those kinds of formulas, you have to memorize anyway, and then you can plug in.
1: They should be rewritten each and every time.
0: So it should show up four times on a piece of paper. Yes. Okay.
1: I want to go into this discussion of comprehension and reading comprehension a bit with word problems because this is a big stopgap for students. So this is what you can sort of do to help support a student who's struggling with the reading comprehension piece of it. You want to read the problem through in parts. So at the least, a word problem is going to have one to two sentences and a question, right? Every time there's a comma or every time there's a period, you want the student to stop and visualize. So I'm going to go through all the rules and then Steph, you and I will work through a problem out loud together, modeling how I would do it with a student in session. Okay. I'm going to go through the process and then we'll do it out loud together. Okay. So the first step is stopping at each common period and visualizing what you just read about. This is also a strategy we talk about in reading comprehension. And we give a bunch of reading comprehension strategies in... episode 17 and 18. In episode 17 and 18. So a lot of the strategies we give in that episode are specific to like reading narrative, but it would totally work and it's totally applicable and appropriate in word problems because word problems have reading comp demands. The second thing you want to do is underline and restate the question in your own words and in the student's own words. You're having the student restate the question to you so that they can reinforce their understanding and you also know that they are understanding what is being asked of them. Then you want to decide if all the information you're being given in the problem is essential and important information. You guys, word problems give extra information all the time. Students think that every number given to them in a word problem somehow has to make it into the computation they do at the very end. False. It's there to distract. It's there to confuse. So if you make them aware that there's extra information in word problems, You give them permission to eliminate a piece of it. The last step is to write out your thinking. So that's kind of the healthy math habits that we were just speaking about. So I'm going right now to find a problem to model this with staff online. But I wanted to share that I always... Not always, but a go to resource for me when it comes to creating math worksheets is a website called mathaids.com. dot com. So it's M A T H dash AIDS dot com. And you can create worksheets. You can you can kind of tailor each worksheet. And I use this resource a lot. I'm not in the Google Doc that Steph and I are using for this episode, but I see that she's probably writing it down and putting it in the show notes. Yes? Mm-hmm. Okay, here's the perfect example of a word problem. You ready for it, Steph? Sure. All right, let's do it. Sarah is baking a cake. Hey, Steph, have you ever baked a cake before? I have. What's your favorite flavor of cake?
0: Well, I don't actually like
1: cake. I don't either.
0: But can I say cinnamon and sugar? (laughs)
1: You guys, Steph and I have a thing about Cinnamon Toast Crunch. That's why I'm laughing so hard. We were just talking about it before we recorded this episode. (laughs) Steph got um, churro Cinnamon Toast Crunch. I think leveled up her life in a really concrete way, but I'm sitting here thinking, like, we just have standard Cinnamon Toast Crunch here. Like, what are we doing? (laughs) So this whole little interlude is Steph taking the moment to visualize what we're talking about. Let's go on. You ready to go on? The recipe calls for six cups of flour and two cups of sugar. Hey, Steph, have you used flour before? Definitely. You ever made a pizza and you got all that flour all over your hands? With you. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) You guys, I'm known for making homemade pizza dough. Yeah. Anyway, and two cups of sugar is also required to bake the cake. I love sugar. Do you love sugar? I love
0: sugar. It's a lot of sugar.
1: Two cups is a. Is a ton of sugar, but let's continue reading. Let's see what, we haven't gotten to the question yet. Sarah already put in four cups of flour. Okay. You know what the number four looks like, right? Yep. How many more cups of flour does she need to add? Hmm. Steph, can you restate the question? Sarah needs to put six
0: cups of flour in the cake and she's put in four already. Uh Uh-huh. What are we being asked? We're asking what the difference is. How many more does she need to do? How many more of what? How many more cups of flour does she need to add?
1: Okay. Was there unnecessary information? I didn't need to know about the sugar. Sugar was completely unnecessary. So we're just going to go ahead and cross it out. Yeah. I didn't really need to know what she was baking. You did not need to know what she was baking. So we'll go ahead and cross that out. What was important information for you to know?
0: It was important for me to know that it needed to total six Mm -hmm. and that she's already put in four.
1: Cool. So what do you think your next move is?
0: How do you figure out what the answer is? So I'm going to go with subtraction on this one. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to do six minus four equals two. Two what? So she needs two more cups of flour.
1: Perfect. And if we were in session and stuff with the client, she would have written this all out. To show her thinking, she would have crossed out Sarah's baking a cake. She would have crossed out the two cups of sugar. She would have underlined the question, how many more cups of flour does Sarah need to add? Mm-hmm. And then she would have written six minus four equals two. And then also have written, Sarah needs two more cups of flour. Now, obviously, this is a little long. This is a little drawn out. But we're modeling what we've talked about time and time again on this podcast, which is you teach the skill when it is easy and obvious.
0: Yeah. And I think it's important to add in there if you have a struggling reader, which I have quite a few that are in higher elementary grades, I will read it to them because I don't need their brain power going to decoding the question. Mm-hmm. And I want to save that brain power for the actual math. So I don't do all of these steps, but I'm going to start doing all of these steps. I do most <laughs> of them. But I think the change is definitely know your learner and know if it's going to take everything out of them to read the actual problem. That's not what you're working on right now, reading. Yeah, it's not the point. So. While we say, yeah, there's definite times to practice reading and decoding and comprehension out in the real world, if it's going to make it so that the math becomes harder, that's not what the goal is. So definitely read it to them. That's perfectly fine. And Mm -hmm. work through, just as Rachel showed and uh, we demonstrated, work through the problem that way with them. And hopefully they'll start to love math. That's kind of a long-term
1: goal. For sure. Right? But when math is easy, you like it more. Couldn't agree more. That's the (laughs) soundbite. When math is easy, when things are easy, you tend to like them more. And I want to just chat a little bit about this with you, Steph. Oftentimes when students are working on math, they have the exact same conversation that you and I had at the beginning of this episode, which is this kind of sucks. It's hard. Mm -hmm. And that's the conversation they're having with their parents. Yeah. If you're having that conversation with your learner, You want to be very careful about the message that you're sending to them. Yes, it is hard, but I was able to do it. Yes, it was hard, but I figured it out. I have this conversation a lot because I work a lot with girls in math and girls who struggle with math and girls who have really a bad math mindset and they're very fixed in their statement of, I don't like math, I'm not good at math. And when I share my journey a little bit, and share that math was also really hard for me, but I kind of stuck through it and I figured out ways of making it easy for me, which are the things that are now benefiting my students. Mm -hmm. It kind of opens up their eyes to a possibility of something different. They find it really difficult to believe that I struggled with math. Yeah, even I find it difficult. I did very much struggle with math. It was not something natural. I was also a very highly motivated student, and I figured out ways of understanding the material. I also had some excellent teachers, especially later on in math. I also had some teachers that were not so great later on in math. Mm -hmm. So when I shared that this didn't come naturally, I was not that student sitting at the front of the class who could skip five steps and understand what was going on. Absolutely not. But I was that annoying student in the back of the class who would talk to my friend in the middle of class and be like, how did they get there? Yeah. Or raise my hand and ask the teacher, how did they get there? I did have a teacher who I did not feel comfortable raising my hand and totally relied on a friend of mine to teach me the material. But that's a conversation for another time. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Because that teacher didn't make me feel safe and comfortable and understood. He was also kind of a math genius So it's not entirely his fault that he couldn't relate to a struggling student, but I had to figure out workarounds in that one. I think that was in eighth grade and then again in 10th grade. So that was fun to have the same teacher twice. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, Smarties, we'd love to hear from you. If there are more episodes that you'd like us to do, this was a highly requested one. But if there's another episode that you think, wow, I wonder what Rachel and Steph would have to say about it. Email us. You never know. Yeah, we're happy to provide you an episode that directly answers your question, or invite you onto the podcast to brainstorm it all together. Also, mm-hmm. we'd love that. We are currently accepting more on-air coaching calls, so if you guys are interested, definitely email us at Rachel and Steph at Learnsmarterpodcast Steph, anything you want
0: to add? No, I think this has been enlightening. Okay. (laughs) It shows me a couple more steps that I can add in that I wasn't doing. Which one
1: weren't you doing? I wasn't
0: doing as much talk within the problem. I definitely have them restate the question, decide which application they're going to use and all of that. But we weren't talking it out as much, which I think would be beneficial for some kids. I think there's some kids that would just get annoyed and not want to, I won't
1: use that strategy, but there are some kids that I think will benefit from me going a little bit deeper into that. Yeah. A lot of math problems. Try to have interesting topics for kids. I could talk about sweets and sugar all day. (laughs) right? Like there's pizza problems. And then we talk about like what their favorite type of pizza is. And then we talk about where they get pizza delivered from. We both happen
0: to have two pizza games on our iPad and a cupcake game. So yeah. Oh, I love those games so
1: much. (laughs) High interest. (laughs) High interest games. So Smarties, have a great week. See you next week.